Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name in certified organic clean food. When you shop online at EdenFoods.com, enter the coupon code ORGVIEW to receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. For other promotional offers, please visit TheOrganicView.com's website. And don't forget to check out our contest section. On today's show, Tom and I have quite a bit lined up. We also have Jim Doan, commercial migratory beekeeper, who is actually standing by to tell us what the state of bees is in Florida. First, I'd like to welcome to the show my co-host, Tom Theobald. Good afternoon, Tom. Good afternoon, June, and hello, Jim. It's good to talk to you again. You too. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. For those of you that may remember Jim Doan, he lost his business a few years back because of unexpected exposure to pesticides. And now we're happy that he's back to talk about what he's done to get his business back on track and also what he's in the process of doing as far as almond pollination. So, Jim, could you just take a moment and share with our listeners what you had to do to get your business back on track? Well, June, we had gone out and, and uh, split a lot of bees. Splitting is, is where you divide hives up and you add uh, new queens to them and make those bees up. And we had gotten up to about 1,400 last summer, but we lost most of them to whatever, you know, CCD. They just, the, the hives collapsed. So we're back to just a couple hundred hives of bees, and I'm starting to downsize the amount of equipment I have because this is a reoccurring event that we just cannot maintain the number of hives that um, we would like to. And that, and that seems to be what's going on here in Florida um, because what we're seeing is, is a total collapse of the bee industry down here. Uh, people have had nice-looking bees back in October and November are going through them now and, and finding that those hives have shrunk from 15, 16 frames of bees down to a mere five or six frames of bees. And that's very unnormal for Florida. Even uh, in the last few years, we haven't seen such a dramatic decline in bee populations. Do you have any suspicions, Jim, as to what the cause is? Well, I do. And and it's something that we've been seeing right along, and, and that is that uh, and, and beekeepers don't realize this a lot of times, but their bees are being affected by chemicals in August and early September, and those those hives, be it neonics or um, you know other things that are taking out their uh, field bees, is causing that hive to shift their nursery into field bees. And then what happens is the, that nursery, when it shifts, um, those bees in the nursery normally would produce a lot of royal jelly that would be fed to all the hatching brood that would be coming out, all the young bees. Those bees are your winter bees that are actually born in September. And so consequently, guys are coming to Florida and other places with summer bees. Summer bees just don't live the length of time that winter bees do because they don't have that body fat, those carbohydrates, that is required to live through 100 days, 120 days. And so what we're seeing is 
because of what happened back in September, now now that's ramifications. And that's why with a lot of these pesticides that we, we're complaining about, yes, they don't kill bees immediately. It's three three months down the road, four months down the road. That's when the hive collapses because the damage was done months ago, and that hive simply, it takes that long for everything to work out through. It's real interesting to hear you say that, Jim, because this very thing is what started me on this odyssey in 2007. I was investigating, I was examining my bees in the fall and found that there was a break in the fall brood cycle. The queen had either stopped laying or had stopped laying viable brood at the very time when the winter bees are being produced. And my hypothesis at that time, and I believe it's been supported by the evidence, was that it was corn pollen that was the culprit. The bees would collect a surplus of corn pollen in August, and it remains there until September when the natural floral spectrum begins to contract, and the bees begin to tap that surplus, and it has exactly the effect that we would expect, which is it compromises the viability of the queen, and the brood. You're exactly right, Tom. And that, you know, this is research that's been going on that, that um, several researchers have pointed out that that these hives just simply don't have the the winter bees that they need. And, and you need winter bees even in the south, just like you do the north. The almond pollination is the biggest crop that commercial migratory beekeepers pollinate. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about what it's like for you to prepare for this? Sure. What what we have to go through to do is first we have to go through and grade all our bees because they they require a certain amount of frames of bees in order in order um, to be paid for, and, and so we're going through and we count the amount of bees in them and also the amount of brood because that will help us determine in a couple of weeks where these hives. Are, how far they're going to grow. And so uh, the second thing we have to do is make sure the equipment is in good shape and that there's no ants. The almond growers cannot have uh, fire ants in particular out there and other ants. So we'll go through and we'll actually raise up our pallets, make sure they're not on the ground, and, and look for ants and clean the pallets. And, uh, and then, of course, we're also making sure while we're doing all that, we're checking for weight because you have to have 35 to 40 pounds of honey in those hives or, or uh, syrup to make sure that those hives have enough weight to withstand bad weather in California, which happens many years that the bees will go through a lot of food while they're out there. So we're doing all those things, and then the last thing will be we'll group them up, we'll band them so that they don't shift during shipping, and here from Florida, it will take about four and a half days for those bees to transport from here to California. Jen, is your operation primarily focused on pollination or on honey production? It is focused on pollination now because the price of honey has dropped so dramatically um, because there seems to be a lot of um, imitation honey on the market. And so uh, because of that, uh, we're, we're, we're seeing the prices drop to uh, low levels that we saw back in the early 90s. And so we have to focus on pollination. You need to make 
about 300 to $350 per hive to get through a year. And, and a lot of people don't realize how much money it takes to run a hive of bees. But this is high-cost beekeeping um, where, you know, you're spending a lot of money on queen, you're spending a lot of money on food and, and, and time in those hives. We never spent the amount of time that we're spending today looking at bees, getting bees ready to go uh, to pollination. How is the uh, almond migration shaping up for Florida beekeepers, Jim? It's not going to be good, Tom. Uh, the, the beekeepers I've spoken with down here are seeing uh, poor quality bees because of the shrinkage that we've seen throughout the season. Uh, and also, um, you know, the, the big, big beekeepers are seeing even um, the same problems that we're seeing. Money doesn't seem to be an object on, on, on how much money you put into them does not reflect on the quality of the bees. And so, like, there's a company down here called Wonderful Bees, which is owned by Paramount. They need a hundred and some thousand hives of bees. They have 75,000 hives down here, but I am told they're probably only going to be able to ship about uh, 4,000 of them to California. The rest are too weak to actually go out and do any good for them. Jim, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule. I know that you're right in the middle of the fields right now, and for you to come on the show, we really appreciate all the information that you're providing because nobody is talking about these things. And for people to understand the plight of the beekeeper, it's right. something that only, unless you experience it up close and personally, there's no other way to really understand what's going on. Mainstream right. media does not talk about these things. Well. I come when the bees actually have to be in California in about two weeks. There's going to be a lot of screaming and hollering because even you know, whatever quality they can get out there, and it's not going to be good. A lot of guys are telling me they're on five, six frames maybe at the most. Generally, most almond growers want eight frames of bees minimum, and they're just not going to get them. So either they're going to have to accept the poor quality or they're just not going to get bees. And on top of that, Paramount, which which I mentioned, uh, they've got a standing order right now for 48,000 hives of bees in California that they don't even have contracts for. I mean, they need those bees. So when push comes to shove, there's, gonna, there's just going to be a huge shortage of bees. People like my cousin Hackenberg, they don't have any bees. Hackenberg went from 1,700 hives down to 80 which is he, he won't have he won't have anything to ship to California. And in the past, David has shipped two, three, four loads of bees a year. Uh, the guy that I was going to buy, he started out the season with eighteen hundred. He may have a hundred that could go to California. The rest are dead or might as well be dead. And so you know you're seeing this huge collapse once again of beehives. And, and it's just not sustainable. I mean, uh, where Hackenberg is going to buy his bees, the guy's not even sure he's going to be able to have bees for him now because he can't keep his bees alive. And, and this is where, this is the bigger problem is that we'll run out of reserves. You know, three, four years ago, there were all these bees in the countryside that weren't being moved to almonds or weren't being drawn into agriculture. Those bees are gone. Those, they've already been drawn in. 
And so what you're seeing now is that there's no place for people to turn to go get more bees from or to uh, refill their equipment with. And that's a huge problem. And I know what the, I know what the, the almond growers are going to want. They're going to want to open the borders up uh, either to Canada or to Australia to bring packages in. We do not, as a bee industry, we don't want that. Australia has several other problems that we still don't have. And uh, we certainly don't want their problems. And then on top of that, the, the Canadians only want to open the border one way, and that's to let the Canadians down here. But many of us would, would relish the idea of being able to go to Canada to put our bees in the woods because that's really the only wild areas we've got left to go hide in. They're, they're, you know, as, at the rate that they're ripping up ground to plant more and more corn, it's not sustainable for, to keep bees anyplace. Even here in Florida, they're, they're, they're planting corn and growing it now. Jim, what are some of the problems that Australia has that we don't and vice versa? They have a mite, another mite, uh, that we don't have. They've also got a couple different viruses that we don't have yet and that we don't want that would make, because our bees have never had to deal with those particular viruses, um, it would decimate the bee population here. And we see that every time something new is brought in, you, you certainly see, uh, like tracheal mites, you know, you saw we saw a huge hit, but then the bees bounce back. I mean, after, after a few years, the bees become tolerant, or in the case of, the, of tracheal mites, they simply pretty much disappeared because the, the bees that, that were most susceptible died. Even with Varroa, you know, and Tom has seen this, I mean, there's lots of new queen lines that are coming out that are either mite resistant, mite tolerant, or actually tear the legs off of mites and kill the mites. And, um, and mites really, Varroa mites are, are the least of our problems. We, we treat maybe once a year and since we've started using the ankle biter line which was developed at purdue um we don't even see mites at all in those hives so I, it comes back to you know we hear the chemical companies going well mites are the problem mites are the problem show me the mites and then maybe we'll have a problem but i don't have mites and and most of these other beekeepers are doing a good job either controlling their mites or not even having to worry about mites, because mites aren't the problem in their hives. Thank you. You're welcome. Jim, thank you so much for being on the show today, and by all means, when you get a chance, we'd love to have you back. Sure, anytime. Thanks, Jim. I know you're out in a bee yard actually working, so you're going to have to go back to work, I'm afraid. I am. <laughs> you guys have a great day. Thank you. Wow, that was really interesting talking to Jim before it's amazing that he's even able to continue at this point. But, you know, after so many years of being a beekeeper, what choices do they have? It's a sad story, June, because nobody's tried any harder than Jim. He's been knocked back to almost nothing. He's reinvested. He's built back up again, been knocked back again. He's sold the farm. And he's representative of what is happening to many, many beekeepers, both large and small, and 
far too many have already gone under, and the statistics that he's talking about should get everybody's attention, but we're not getting much help from the regulators. What's interesting is that now the EPA apparently is agreeing that imidacloprid is harmful to bees. And I know imidacloprid is something that we've been talking about for several years. Now this is what they're saying? Well, this is pretty tentative what they've come up with. And let me just explain a little further. They've taken a look at imidacloprid. And imidacloprid was registered in the United States in 1992. So now, 24 years later, the EPA has concluded that imidacloprid may be harmful to bees. And what they've done is they've looked at a minor, uh, a crop on which it is, is a minor use. They've looked at imidacloprid on corn. Corn produces no nectar and uh, only pollen. And they didn't take a look at things like vegetation droplets, which are high, high in the neonicotinoids whenever they're used as a seed treatment. So what they've done is they've looked at the wrong crop in the wrong places, and they've concluded that it may harm bees. And I, uh, I question why they would do that, and I've given it a lot of thought. Bayer at first uh, disagreed with their conclusions, but shortly thereafter came out and, and said that the EPA was on the right track. And I I gave some thought to that, and here's what I think is going on. I think that their investigation of imidacloprid on corn is something that's been engineered by their chemical handlers. And Bayer has come out in favor of what they've found because Bayer sat down and, and thought it over. Imidacloprid was a Bayer product, and in the early 2000s, the patent that they had on that product was about to run out. This is why clothianidin, the next neonicotinoid, was rushed to the market without proper investigation as to its safety, not because it was some unique answer to some outbreak of insects, but because Bayer was about to lose its patent on imidacloprid. So it was rushed to market to protect Bayer's market share. And we've all suffered the consequences. It still has not met the legal requirements for registration, even though EPA quietly granted it full registration without ever fulfilling the obligations for research. Now, why would Bayer uh, support what the EPA has found? Well, because they engineered this investigation in the first place, and Bayer took a look at it and said, look, we've got all these other people that are marketing imidacloprid. It's a minor product for us. Let's cut them off at the knees. And I think that's what's going on behind the scenes. The EPA is simply the marionette for the chemical company puppeteers. Well, Tom, let's think about this from a legal perspective. If EPA were to say what the beekeepers have been saying for how many years is true, then Bayer turned around and agreed with EPA. The legal ramifications with 
admitting what the true effects are would be tremendous. I can only imagine all the lawyers that would come out of the woodwork with all the class action lawsuits. And I think from a legal perspective, this would, tr- this, this would be a financial disaster where both EPA and Bayer would be held accountable. Nobody's going to be held accountable, June. Let's be realistic. This whole situation is managed by mega corporations, and nobody's going to be held accountable. The EPA uh, simply is not doing its job. It's doing the job of these chemical companies, and nothing is going to change. Congress is asleep at the wheel, and that's the highest level of management. They've done nothing. Another part of the story is uh, something that, that Dave Hackenberg brought up in the interview that we did with him two weeks ago. Dave said that the EPA's position on the neonicotinoids was just sue us. And I've heard that from other beekeepers, and I've heard that myself from government employees, and it's always puzzled me. And my initial reaction was that they're baiting their responsibilities. But I'm not sure that that's the the total motivation for that. I think it may be a cry for help from EPA employees who are working under a corrupted management We've seen many instances where EPA employees have uh, suggested that there be studies done or that we take our time, or, and clothianidin is a good example. The EPA risk assessment scientists felt that the life cycle study should be completed before it was registered, and they were overruled by EPA management. So I think this just sue us position may, in fact, be a cry for help from employees who are as concerned about the direction that the EPA is taking as we are. Well, if you think about the number of scientists that are outside the United States that have conducted independent research, which has been peer-reviewed and published, which prove the effects on pollinators from the use of neonicotinoids, it's tremendous. And for the American scientists to remain silent for so long really also sends a message. There are just a handful of American scientists that are willing to speak out. And, of course, they've been on the show. But I agree with you, Tom. I think it's gotten to the point where they know what's going on. They can see the forest for the trees. But internally, they've got to be putting pressure as well. So I think this is a good sign. It's a step in the right direction. And what the EPA has said about imidacloprid is a step in the right direction, but it's a baby step. And we're faced with what may be the most massive poisoning of the environment in human history. And they have dragged this out under the control and direction of the chemical industry, I believe, uh, forever. And what we heard today from Jim Doan is representative of what's happening throughout the country. We're about to lose the beekeepers. The damage to the environment has been enormous, and it's time that these government employees begin to step up to their responsibilities and show a little courage and get out from under the control of these mega corporations. And Congress needs to step in and do something other than simply sign the checks that are coming their way. 
I would like to refer to an article that was published on Bayer's website, and this was on January 14th, and it was titled, Are Neonics Dangerous to Bees? The U.S. and Canadian governments are weighing in on the science. And it's written by Dana Sargent, Vice President, North American Regulatory Affairs for Bayer. What's interesting is, is that what a lot of people tend to forget is the corporate executives have an obligation to make the corporations money. That is their number one obligation. And it's interesting when you read this because she tries to pull the, oh, well, I'm a mom, I'm this, I'm that. But at the end of the day, she's not a commercial migratory beekeeper. She's not out there. She's not seeing what her company is doing to these people much less the impact to the environment, which remains to be seen. People are complaining about what's going on in Flint, Michigan. Well, think about what's going to happen when the neonicotinoids have impacted our drinking water to the point where it becomes too toxic for us to drink. Right now, it's in the water, and it's widespread. It's not just in the agricultural regions. It's ubiquitous. The... uh the parallels between what we're seeing with these systemic pesticides and what happened in Flint, Michigan, are very dramatic. We're seeing we're seeing environmental damage being inflicted that may not express itself for years to come, and that's the same situation with lead in the water system. Those children, tragically, may have been affected in ways that won't reveal themselves for years to come. And that's what we're seeing with these systemic pesticides. They are long-lived. Many of them have half-lives years. The soil and the water has been massively contaminated. And even were we to wave a magic wand and, and stop them today, it will take years for the environment to purge itself of these poisons. This has been a very irresponsible uh, con. This has been very irresponsible conduct on the part of the regulators and everybody else, and it's it's very disappointing. And the beekeepers are out here quite literally dying. We cannot hold out much longer. And I think Jim Doan has expressed that quite articulately. We need to begin paying attention to what's being done. I think it's preposterous that we allow these chemicals to be used in the environment without the proper research to prove one way or the other what the overall impact is. And it's like they just let it loose. They unleash the genie out of the bottle, and then they want to find out, okay, well, does it really do this? Does it do that? At that point, it's too late. It should be done prior. That's the whole reason why EPA was even created. And just the fact that this is what's been going on is disastrous. So either EPA really needs to have a complete makeover or they need to come up with another agency that can handle the responsibilities properly. Well, I don't think another agency is the answer. I think the answer is to properly manage the agency that we have. And what we're seeing is the consequence of the industry capture of this regulatory agency. They aren't carrying out their responsibility to protect mankind and the environment, which is 
what their charter calls for. They have not done their jobs, and and we are all paying the price, just as the people of Flint have paid a tragic price for what was done there. Well, Tom, to be continued, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Joan, and thank you for everything you do. These are such important questions, and we're one of the few who are speaking out publicly, and there needs to be much more discussion of what's happening. Folks, if you have any questions, feel free to write to either me or to Tom at questions at theorganicview.com. Or you can send us a message on social media, find us on Facebook or on Twitter. Tune in next week as Tom and I continue to explore the impact of neonicotinoids on the environment. Thank you for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon.